bow your heads to pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for today. I thank you that we're all able to gather here, and I pray that your name will be lifted up in this message. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. doing man that was sweet 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 just a reminder just a great reminder in worship i love that love that um so we are having miss t come up where's she at where's she at where's she at there come on come on yep she's like who's miss t uh we're gonna be in the book of hebrews tonight yeah that's my sister we're gonna be in the book of hebrews um so i know you just sat down but go ahead and get your bibles let's stand up and read the word of god together hebrews chapter one we're going to read the whole chapter. I'm just kidding. They're like, oh, my goodness. Heathen. So I'm just kidding. Just uh, verses 1 through 3. It'll be on the screen as well if you do not have a Bible. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. Long ago and many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Great job, Tegan. All right, please be seated. Please be seated. Hey, um, so tonight we're going to look at uh, the portrait of God, the portrait of God and how, um, how we see who God is through the person of Christ. Uh, I say the person of Christ because we're going to talk about specifically about the divinity of Christ or who he is as divine, but also who he is as the person, the God man sent um, on our behalf. So uh, Hebrews one, chapter uh, one, or sorry, Hebrews chapter one, verses one through three. Um, the, the author of Hebrews sometimes is uh, construed and there, there, there are many, many, many debates out there about who actually wrote the book of Hebrews. Some people say Peter, some people say Apollos and Apollos is actually mentioned in Paul's writing and Apollos was really well known for his big conversation. So he, in, in the ancient times, what would be the most popular thing wasn't sports, wasn't being able to, you know, juggle stuff for how many TikTok retweets or, um, you know, whatever you, TikTok does nowadays, um, likes or what was it called when you do the, the reactions or whatever? Um, it wasn't based upon that. It was more based upon your ability to speak and the eloquence and the, the, the new knowledge that came from your mind or your mouth or from other scholars. So scholars would travel all the way around the world and they would come back with these stories from different places. And these men and women would pay and sit and, and listen to these people. That's why you see Paul saying, hey, I'm not wanting to have to be paid to even preach or to even come to speak to you. I'm going to work in your town. I'm going to I'm just going to share the gospel of Christ with you. Um, so Apollos was one of those guys that was very, very, very wise. So some people say it's Apollos. Some people say it's actually Paul. And the reason they would say it's Paul, because Paul um, was so thick and he was so um, well articulate in, in his Greek that they would look at it and say, hey, this is a lot like Pauline's writing. It's a little different, but it's similar. Nonetheless, um, it was, it was written by a person, a man 
and I, I like to call it under pinspiration, pinspiration, meaning that he was the author um, inspired by the Holy Spirit to write the word of God, uh, which we would say is the word of God. Um, so nonetheless, again, it's uh, it's God himself writing through a person using their personality. Um, and Second Timothy 3.16 would say that um, all scripture has been breathed out by God that is useful for teaching, correction, um, and to build up the man. So we see this being Hebrews, whether it was Paul, uh, Paul, Peter, Apollos, it's still the word of God. So we jump into that and um, we have to realize that it's, it's uh, these, these people that, he, that, that Paul was writing to or Apollos or Peter was writing to, the author of Hebrews was writing to, was a group of Jews. Now, these Jews were since born again, believers in Christ. And then the Gentiles would also be able to read upon this because of their integration because of Christ. The Jews were God's select people. The Gentiles were grafted in by that of Christ and his bridge of the gospel between people. But what was happening for these Jews is that they were slowly inching their way towards back to um, religiosity, a, a big word meaning that they began to do the right things. They began to not cuss as much. They began to not da 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 as much. They began to actually do the ceremonies and the rituals that would make them feel like they were one with God again. It's like when we say, hey, you know what? I'm going to go through my life, and, you know, and I'm not going to talk about anybody for a, a month in, in November because it's thankful November, and I'm going to say all the things I'm thankful for about my enemies. And it's like, no, that's, that's not what Christianity is. Like, or I'm going to give so much, or I'm going to go on mission trips a lot, or I'm going to be able to do whatever it is I need to do to make myself feel good with God. And these people began to do that as rule followers. So their relationship with Christ looked less like a warm, obedient relationship. And it began to look more like that of rule following. Now we follow the rules out of our love for God, right? We, we don't do the things that we want to do because of what Christ has freed us from to not have to do those things. But these people began to look at it and they began to say, Hey, I still feel like I need to follow these Jew, Jewish traditions from the, the religion of Judaism. Like, I feel like I need to still do these things of not eating pork and not doing this and not doing that. And um, at this time, you'll see in the book of Acts where there's a vision that happens and all food is now clean, declared the Lord. I mean, these things are happening. So the author is writing to these group of Jews that are slowly, again, inching their way back to religion. That doesn't do anything for them except for make them feel like they're good people. Um, so he wants to remind them in the very beginning, like Hebrews starts off and he wants to remind them. He says, hey, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke. God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son whom he appointed. Um, we see this, this truth that God spoke. And when we look at the Bible, we see God speaking to the hearts of people. This was the point of, 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 the, of the gospel for a, a man to prophesy that Christ would be returning through prophets, through the law. This was all about God speaking. And, when, when, and, and there's, there's, a, there's a fulfillment of, of the prophecies that are given by these prophets in the Old Testament in Jesus. So we have the whole Bible. So everybody say the whole Bible, the Bible. is a, a meta narrative. A what? A manatee? No, a meta narrative. This meta this meta narrative means it's 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 a it's a long story that has one central theme, and that is Christ. So God speaking is God speaking of the coming Christ is the beginning and the end of the Old Testament. Christ being what God had spoken is the beginning and the end of the New Testament. So Old Testament is 
God using people to speak about the coming of Christ. New Testament is Christ living up to the being spoken about. So we, we see this and what happens is, um, in, 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 in our world and in our, our, our culture today, we see this and, and our, our senses are amazing. Like we have the ability to taste things and see things and smell things and hear things and touch things, um, that really make us feel a certain way. But sometimes when we read the Bible, we're not able to, like, to see when God speaks through the pillar or the burning bush. We're not able to smell the fire that's been burning in the sky for, oh, I just reached my 10,000 steps. Woo-hoo. Oh, so, sorry. <laughs> it's just like, oh. Or, you know, we're not, we're not able to feel, we're not able to feel the, the wind of God leading as, as, as Moses and his people are going through a sea. We're not able to hear the small, still voice of God when, when, we, when, when people are looking through him from the mountains and the fire and the smoke. But what happens is, as marvelous as our senses are, we are incapable to reach beyond the natural. We are incapable to reach beyond the natural. Um, And for us to know anything about God, for us to see the portrait of God, he must tell us who he is. God must tell us who he is. And that's that's like, okay, yeah, I I get that. But let's let's try to unpack that just a, a wee bit. The old, again, the Old Testament was full of ways that God has spoke to us from visions to parables to symbols to fiery bushes to poetry to animals. And the Old Testament states that there are 39 different ways that God was trying to communicate with his people. 39 different ways. And that just should show that God is so patient and kind and loving for him to take 39 different ways from a bush to a bird to a, a, an ocean splitting in two, to fire coming down from heaven. He's patient and he's kind. And when we follow the thought of God speaking, um, that's the crux of the difference between Christianity and all of the other world religions. The text here says in, in uh, Hebrews when he starts off, he says, hey, God's been speaking for years and years and years and years. But in that God speaking, and all his time of speaking through the throughout the history of, of the world, we in our natural box. So imagine that you are sitting in a, in a in a box, right? Yeah. So here, here, everybody, draw your box around you. you have your box around you. Yeah. Stop. Don't touch me. There. Uh, you have your box around you, right? And in this box is all the natural, right? We have the natural box that's surrounding us, and um, there are walls that enclose us in this box, and we call these walls space and time, right? So you are constrained by space and time, correct? And if you're not, you extra took best for you. Okay. Um, so outside this box, we see. So say outside. There's the supernatural. So this is all an example, right? Supernatural. And somewhere deep inside of us, inside of every person in this room, whether you realize it not or yet or not, or whether you may think this thought, you will have a hunger, whether it will grow, whether it's right now, to know what that supernatural thing is outside of your box. Right inside your box, the natural exists where you eat and breathe and live and move. But then there's a supernatural thing outside of the box. And something outside this box happens or something happens when we try to peek outside the box. Religion happens. 
the moment that we try to take the supernatural and let it come into our box, or we try to go out and chisel a little, like say, say that you, have a, you have a wall and you're trying to chisel and you look through the box and you see something supernatural. This is what has happened throughout the course of history with every religion in the world. They've had something natural and they run over to the edge of the box and they chisel out in their imagination what they think is on the other side in the supernatural and boom, a new religion has started. And they try to say, oh, I've, I've escaped my natural state. I've escaped this because I've somehow, you know, allowed this nat- uh, supernatural thing to take its eye and put it on me. And here's the truth. Natural man, you and me, cannot escape even if we accidentally slip in our boxes and try to say something happened. We can't go into some supernatural phone booth some religious phone booth and change and be like Superman, become Clark Kent and see that there's something crazy awesome out there. No, we cannot transcend. We cannot go outside of our natural box. And in that natural box, sin is real. The things that we think at night and the depths of our soul that, 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 that keep us from God are real. The pains and the struggles and the, the defeats and even the joys that we love and the people and the friends and the family, they live in that natural box. And if we're, no, if we're to know anything about God, the supernatural, it can't be done by our imagination of chiseling away in our box and trying to see and trying to get him to come in. No, it's God himself that comes and gets in our level and, and communicates with us. It's God that that bursts through our box in a beautiful and divine and holy way and says, this box is actually mine now. Apart from Christ, your box is natural. And in that box, you will live, breathe, and die naturally. But through Christ, as the prophets commanded and proclaimed, Christ comes to invade this box. And it's kind of like we try to say, okay, God, like, um, I, I know, I know what you can be. And all of man's religions reflect this attempt to step outside of this natural box into the supernatural and bring something in. But the message of Christianity is that the son of man came to seek and save, which is lost and natural. First John 19, um, one nineteen ten. Or first John one, nine verses 10. God came and bursted into our box in human form. And the name of this human form was Christ Jesus. That is the difference between Christianity and every other religion in the world. That's why it's so foolish to say, as I've seen on talk show hosts, I've seen Oprah Winfrey say this. They say, yeah, all the roads lead to one God. Yeah, all, all roads lead to one destination with two in outcomes with two completely different outcomes. It's foolish to say that all religions are the same. This is the difference. Christianity is God bursting into man's world, showing up and telling man what he is like, because man alone is incapable. We are incapable by ourselves to identify who God is. We can peek over the box and try to make God into something. We can try to comprehend and say that, okay, God is this. I mean, I remember being a 16-year-old skeptic sitting and looking at the stars and thinking I had God figured out. And all the while, he was looking down upon me saying, son, I know who you are. God has to invade our world and speak 
on his own behalf about who he is. And again, as the author said, there have been many, many ways that God has spoken through the fathers, through the prophets. And in the last days, he says, now I've sent Christ. Now I've sent this Christ. These ways of, of speaking were to prepare the hearts of the believers of, or people that would become believers to experience Christ. The author would write here that there have been many ways that God has spoken and now Christ is speaking. So let's read verse two. But in these days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things. These last days are not the days like doom and gloom and like um, what we see Armageddon coming through. These, these last days is, is literally um, when we read the Greek translation. The last days means this is the last revelation of who God is. So it says in the, in the last revelation, revelation meaning the revealing of who God is to his people. The last revelation was done and is done through Christ. There's nothing more and nothing less that can be added or taken away to the revelation of Christ. This is why we see, this is why it's so important for us to know. Look at me real quick. It's why it's so important for us to know when we're having conversations with people that use the same words like Jesus, we have to know what source of Jesus they're speaking from because a Mormon can come to you and talk about Jesus. But what has happened is, is that their revelation has been added. And now they have a book of Mormon that was post Christ revelation, meaning it's a revelation that we would say is heretical. There are other religions such as Scientology where they have books that that's like health. Uh, it's called health and science that they say, hey, these things equal that which is of God. These things are equal of God. This extra revelation is something that's happening in our culture. And especially in, in the movement of the emerging church, there, what, what's happening is, as he says in the last day, God has spoken us to us through his son. Christ has come and has spoken to us through his son, through, through himself. But what's happening is, is that people are, are walking up to other people or writing books or declaring things on Instagram and Twitter and, and all the social media platforms. And they're saying, hey, I declare to you that God has a new, fresh revelation for you. If you have anybody say that to you, to your face, run, run. Because this person is not of the Lord, even though they are clothed and they have the right words to say. And it may be the most encouraging thing your little bones could ever hear. It's folly. The revelation. Now, if somebody comes to you and say, hey, you know, listen, I just want to encourage you that, that you are God's child. That's biblical, right? I want to encourage you that, you know, and, and God, God just wants to bless you with a million dollars in 2021. Uh, <laughs> what God are you talking about? You know, like, like, it's, like, it's like, but like for me, I have to realize that the revelation of God has been finalized in that of Christ. That's biblical theology when we, when we see that the revelation of Christ has been, is the finality. And the beginning of Hebrews is to make sure that we are established in that of Christ. Again, the Bible is the meta-narrative of that of Christ. And it's about its coming. It's centered around Christ, proclaiming Christ for Christ's glory. It is the portrait of God. Christ is the portrait of God. And what's happened is a lot like um, film cameras, if, if you do any photography or if you know anything about film cameras or even a Polaroid, this, you're like, oh, I know Polaroids. Um, what happens is you take the picture. And what happens with the Polaroid camera normally? You get the picture and it's a beautiful picture, right? Can you see it? 
No, it's white, and it takes a little bit to develop, and finally you realize, wow, I didn't realize I had a booger right there. You know, like, this is what's going on. But it's an overtime. It's an overtime revealing of the picture to come. As an overtime, there's a snapshot that was done in the beginning of time, and God was so patient and loving to begin to write this huge story of the gospel. And then finally, we get to see the full story. What a time to be alive in, in God's history, to be able to look at the Old Testament and see God's faithfulness of, of the proclaimed Christ, to see the fulfillment of the proclaimed Christ, and then for us to live in the proclaimed Christ promise of the Holy Spirit and wait his coming. What a beautiful time. What a beautiful time. We continue to read here that in the portrait of who God is, of that of Christ, he says this, that he's been appointed the heir of all things through him who also created the world. Wait. Jesus created the world? I thought it, thought it was God in Genesis. What do we do with that? Let's have a conversation. Who created the world? How do, how do we grapple with this? Let's, let's talk. Can we just talk? Okay. Boom. Just, oh, here we go. You want the mic here? Yeah. Um, he's, he's like, I'll get up there. I appreciate it. Um, but how, how, do we, how do we wrestle with this? So when, it, when, when, we read the, when we read scripture, anytime you read the word, so this is a side note. Anytime you read the word and, and don't write notes to each other at the edge, or I'm going to separate you, I'm not going to look at you. Anytime that we read the word together, Anytime you approach God's word, you have to know, like, the context of it determines meaning. And the English language is sometimes really, um, like, not good at translating the Greek. Because the Greek has so many meanings for so many different words. Like, you have, you have love, and there are literally six different ways to say love in Greek. You're like, what? I'm worse than Spanish. Um, um, but not as bad as Japanese. So, um, so we have, we have the, this. He says, hey, he created the world. And this world would not just be, like to say that God created that Jesus created the earth would be a in this definition this word I'm going to try to say it uh, I'm not going to try a i o n a s yeah ionis there we go um, to to say that it was just like he got the whole world like earth that would kind of be like a slap in the face of this this is this word. It says that Christ created the world. That means he created every age and age that has been, is, and is to come. He created everything. The, the, the entire creation hangs on that of the arms of Christ. To say he just created this one small world and the big grand universe would be a slap in the face when you use the English language. This is saying like it's a big 10,000 million foot level of Christ in his creation. And, and, and we have this beautiful, beautiful story of creation. But somehow, now this is a little bit of apologetics. And some, somehow, when we look at our culture today, there are thousands and thousands and thousands of people. If you just ha- like type in Instagram tonight, like hashtag uh, um, evolutionist. And look at what people are saying online. Like, I, I did that just to see, like, what was going on. I was like, whoa, Pokemon. Um, but, like, it was one of those things where that literally, that's why people didn't let other kids play Pokemon growing up. Like, they're like, Pokemon teaches evolution. And I'm like, actually, it kind of does. But, well, I got to catch them all. Um, so, but um, what, what's happened is, is that there, there's, there's a group of people, and even sometimes in the church, that believe that we came from primeval slime that we came from primeval slime that somehow developed legs or fins 
whichever one you came from. Some of you look like you came from Thins, but um, that's between you and your mama and your daddy. Um, but to say that we just came from slime and to, to lean upon that, like this is where we see when we read the word, there's so much more to unpack when you take it just verse by verse. Because the wonder of our creator Christ is this. He's the one that creates our hearts that beat 800 million times in a lifespan. He's the one that created the brain that is a part of your brain this size, this size right here, this small, holds every memory in your lifetime. It's the same Christ who has formed waves that go from waves that go to air, that go to water, that go to your ear for you to be able to even hear what I'm saying tonight. We continue to be amazed when we read and we continue to read here in verse three, that he is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. A radiance is, is, a, is a light that's shining forth bright, that illuminates and reveals. It's better than the, the brightest lighthouse that's trying to guide a, a ship home. It's brighter than the brightest sun on a beach day. Like, it's the most beautiful, radiant light. And Christ was that. We see this representation gifted on earth of God in his nature. Christ in his nature, the essence of his beating, the impression, the portrait of God. Christ is the one that upholds this world in his glory and his power and his love and his might. Yet he is gentle and he is kind. But so many times we view God as the God that has set us in our boxes, going back to that, and just kind of looks at us and keeps us to the side and, and, and looks and just to make sure we're doing good. And if we're doing good, he drops little rewards. And if we're doing bad, he takes them away. That, that's how we view God. But no, he's not that God at all. He's not just a watchmaker God. He's the God that holds the power of the universe. I, I love this as we continue verse 3. He upholds the universe by the power of his word, by the words in his power. God spoke. Jesus spoke. And when I think about Christ's power to uphold the universe, I just tremble. I get overwhelmed. I get thankful. Because we can read in the Bible when we see this, we say in, in uh, Philippians 1, 6, Paul says that I'm confident of this very thing. That he began, he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ. That God who started the work of salvation within your very soul, regenerating your dead heart, bringing life from the depth of your sin, will perfect it. When Christ begins to work in your heart, he holds onto it with the same might and power and strength that sustains this universe. That's how personal and powerful Christ is. There's no compromise in that. Like if we were two miles away from the sun, we would freeze to death. If we were two miles closest to the sun, we would burn to death. But Christ holds us perfectly in orbit right exactly where you are. And just as your heart, he doesn't say, hey, if you go a little bit this way from me, you're frozen. You're useless. And if you go a little bit this way from me, then, man, your life is hell. No, he says, I have you perfectly fit right where I have you. I'm transforming you. I'm making you more into the image of who I am. And it's a beautiful, beautiful reminder that he has a perfect order and hold on this world. No matter, no matter the situation or circumstance you're walking through, no matter what season, whether it's good, bad, ugly, looks amazing, 
you're perfectly held because he upholds the universe by the power of his word. This is the truth that we can continue to cling to as we wrap up in uh, Hebrews verse three here. Beautiful truth. He says, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He made purification for sins. He purified that which was marred and tarred and bitter and warranted nothing but death. The Bible says that the work payment for our sin is death. When we work, how many of you got a J-O-B? Anybody got a J-O-B? When you work, what do you expect to get? Money. Or a free meal, just depending upon how corrupt your boss is, right? I worked under the table when I was 14 years old. meant I worked illegally. Um, that was before God. But, like, what I would get was 50 bucks and a dinner. I was like, oh, I can wash dishes for that. Like, 50 bucks for me was a lot of money as a 14-year-old. Yes, sir? He didn't go to jail? No. No, he didn't either. I know. Rebel. Uh, so... Um, but <laughs> that was the thing. Thank you, Andre. But, um, when we, when we see this, the, the work payment for our lives apart from Christ is death. We work for sin and its payment is pure death. But Jesus Christ went on the cross and died a real death so that he could go to our bank accounts and deposit life, depositing life and life abundantly to purify us and to give us life. And Christ's sacrifice was not only intentional, but it was in step with that of who Christ, the Father, God, the Son, Holy Spirit was and what, what they did in the Old Testament. The sacrifice of Christ fell right in par with that of the sacrificial system of the Old Testament. Some people think, oh, well, you don't need the Old Testament because that's the other day. No, the Old Testament shows a beautiful picture of the coming Christ. And for Old Testament prophets, for Old Testament sacrifice to actually mean something, there had to have been death. You look through the book of Leviticus, and there are all types of ways that people basically atone for their sins. Normally, it was to bring a spotless, firstborn animal and slaughter them on behalf of the sin of the family. And in Christ being the firstborn son of God, chosen before creation, sinless, spotless, he would die and his blood would be spilt. And the Old Testament would say, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Christ coming to shed his blood so sin and sinners could be reconciled. So he says, after making the purification of sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So is Jesus just chilling up there right now? Like, what do, what do we do with this, Nick? Like, I, I get it. Like, Jesus died. Okay, blood. Yeah, okay, pure. But is he just sitting now? It's more than just him sitting. It's more than just him saying, okay, I'm done. My job's done. I'm kicking my feet up. I'm next to my daddy. Like, no, no, no. Jesus says, that this is so important for us to know. When we see the the rabbi going into the temple or the priest going into the temple to atone for the sin of the people within the community or, or himself, there was no seat next to the Holy of Holies. Why? Because it was an all day ritual, whether of prayer, 
of sacrifice, of fasting, of worship. There was no time for sitting down. There was no time to just be silent and, you know, chill out and, and play like Xbox. No, it, it, was, it was this time for the prophet or the rabbi to come and offer sacrifice and penance for those of the land. But when Christ comes and becomes that spotless sacrifice, his, seating, his sitting down is him saying, it is finished again. It is finished again. It is finished again. And the place that he is seated at is of the most high honor. If a king would have someone sit to their right, it was the most high honor. That's why Jesus is called the high priest. And there are many times throughout the scriptures that we see Jesus actually in the stoning of Stephen. It says that, that Christ Jesus actually stood up and saw what was happening. He looked upon Stephen with love and intentionality. There are many other times where you see Christ standing. And it's not that he's just a stagnant God, but he is in preparation for us. And he has given us the Holy Spirit as a comforter in this season of God's meta narrative. We have seen the portrait of God in Christ. And it should make us draw nearer and nearer to him all the more, understanding that he was spoken about all throughout the Old Testament. And he invaded our broken world, our natural. And he came to speak on behalf of himself to us. And finally, he speaks on our behalf to the Father. We see in John 14, 6, that there is no way to God except through Christ. There's no way for you to have that broken relationship mended except through Christ. And for those that are in this room and you're like, okay, Nick, like I've, I hear this all the time. Like you preach the, people preach the gospel. We sing the gospel. Like let it be a reminder for you even tonight that your sin held you captive. But God, the supernatural God, invaded your natural broken state. And now he speaks on our behalf. And there was a sin. The sin bridge has been defeated. And the bridge between the divine and the natural are mended. Through that of the shedding blood of Christ. We see this long ago. Many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in the last days, today, he's speaking through Christ, through his word. He is the radiance of the glory of God. He is the exact nature of God. And he upholds the word. He, he upholds the universe by his word. And after making purification of sin, allowing us to be entered in, he rests. May our hearts rest. Let's pray together. Jesus, you are so good. And we thank you for the opportunity, God, to look upon your word and to be encouraged, Lord. And God, we ask as we... Um, Continue on tonight, Lord, whether we go to Chick-fil-A or go home, Lord, that you would just remind us of where you've brought us from. How you are so good in nature to invade our natural with your supernatural love. Showing us who you are and whose we could be. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. You guys have a great night. Oh, oh, oh. How could I ever